When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, it has been a minute. Sorry, I took a little hiatus there. Um, no real reason, honestly. Just the long weekend kind of got away from me and didn't really uh, have anything set in stone. So I just kind of let it ride. Got you this episode for Thursday. Anyway, um, thanks for tuning in. Always appreciated. On today's episode, uh, Chase and I discuss a recent article from Tad Collister that was published in the Church News. And all the flack and pushback that he got for it, mainly from progressive, you know, more left-leaning members of the church and kind of the issues they had therein. A lot of it was on Twitter, a lot of that pushback. I guess people are writing in really mad about it. I don't know. Read it. I would encourage you to read it. Make your own assessment. Chase and I talk about it and kind of give our takes and just a little bit of... uh why we think it's ridiculous, all the flack and how he, what he talks about falls in line exactly with the gospel, at least as far as I know the gospel. But anyway, not everybody sees it my way, obviously. I hope you at least find something that resonates with you in this episode. We kind of go through, uh, share a couple snippets from it, give our t- uh, feedback, and then we talk about what people are saying out there as well. It's not really substantive uh, in terms of what the feedback is that people give, and they don't really like claim specific like problems they have with it and how it doesn't line up with the doctrine. It's mainly just kind of how they feel about it, which seems to be a kind of a growing uh, issue, I think, is that people don't really necessarily pinpoint specific issues. It's just they go off their feelings. And I guess it's kind of hard, hard to argue against that, right? You can't tell somebody to feel a different way. But anyway, that's the world we're starting to live in. Hope you all enjoy this episode. Hope you all are having a great week and are prepping for just an awesome weekend and that the hangover from a three-day weekend hasn't totally killed your week. Mine, I've survived for the most part. I had a great three-day weekend. Hope you all did too. Hope you're gearing up for a great one coming again. Not a three-day, but just another weekend. Anyway, I'm rambling. Y'all have a good one. I'll talk to you later. Mormons are my favorite. They're my favorite. Yeah, okay. They're absolutely my favorite. All Mormons are nutty Mormons. Mormons are the nicest cult of all time. Beautiful, and these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. Just being a Mormon's nutty. Mormons are really nice people. Totally nice. They are the yes. best cult. My favorite religion is Mormons. They're the nicest people. Shout out to the Latter-day Saints. All right, Chase, we are back. Uh, it's been a minute since we've had you on the podcast, so welcome back once again. Happy to have you as always. Um, I am curious to get your thoughts on this as a medical doctor, as an alleged medical doctor. Um, <laughs> alleged. Is COVID over? Is COVID officially over? I, I don't want to misspeak here, but it, it's, I mean, at least as a society, it's starting to feel that way. I think uh, people are finally ready to, to take off the mask. I'm starting to see it even in Colorado, which I think is more mask prone than Utah. You walk into Walmart and it's like 
I'd say over half the people aren't wearing them anymore. So it's starting to feel like it's getting over with. And honestly, I mean, be, at least I'm sure it's different hospital to hospital, but at least where I've been working, the caseload has been way down. I think it's starting to feel like things are getting close back to normal. So I it kind of seems like close. it. And it kind of seems like the revelation of Fauci's emails have kind of like put a exclamation point on all that, that it was like, oh, so I guess that guy never really knew what he was talking about anyway. <laughs> that may- well, it, I also, was, I'll say too that, you know, it's kind of funny when the CDC came out and said, okay, well, you don't really need a mask anymore if you're vaccinated and all that. Um, it was funny to see how disappointed some people were to hear that news. It's like they've been citing the CDC all this time. And then the CDC says something they don't like and suddenly like, wait a second. Now we can't listen to the CDC <laughs> anymore. I mean, let's not get too hasty here. I mean, it's just kind of funny. The to watch CDC that has phenomenon. become the Wikipedia of any just like kitchen table argument. Like you use it only when it works for you and you immediately discredit it, discredit it when it doesn't. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, in, in all seriousness, though, is there a chance that it spikes again in the winter when the cold weather returns? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm no epidemiologist, so I, I can't say for sure how that would all work. I, I, I would say that with all the people getting vaccinated, it's unlikely. But what do I know? It, it, I, I think I I don't think we're going to see anything like we've already seen. Let's put it that way. Do you think it will just kind of be something that regresses to the flu, like year in and year out? Probably, I would say it'll probably be similar numbers to the flu on a given year, and that would be my guess. And, and do you think it'll compound the flu numbers, or do you think it'll just kind of like fit in there as it already does? Hmm. I I I wish I could give you an expert opinion there, but I don't want to misspeak. Uh, but like a, then why the hell did you get your medical degree, dude? <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> medical degree. They didn't spend a whole lot of time teaching me about COVID because it didn't happen yet. Right. Fair enough. All right. Well, uh, one thing I wanted to get into today for sure. I don't know if you've been on Twitter recently, but there was an article written in the Church News um, that was published on May 28th by Tad Collister, who, by the way, has been on the podcast before. I can't remember which episode it was among the first like 10, I believe. And he and I talked about marriage and kind of his own experiences on that and just kind of what his thoughts are on the decreasing marriage rates and stuff like that. Anyway, um, he wrote an article uh, and it was titled A Fence at the Top or an Ambulance at the Bottom. And what he essentially goes through to highlight is the family, the family, a proclamation to the world which was a statement that was released in the 90s by the first presidency that was essentially talking about how important families are, which, by the way, when you look at, there are a few things you can look at when that was released. In the 90s, it kind of seemed like everybody knew that already, and it was really kind of the backbone of society. So it was just kind of like this nice reminder, but nobody really, I mean, not to say nobody took it seriously, but it was kind of like, oh yeah, cool. Yeah. It's nothing new here. Kind of is what the sentiment, if I'm not mistaken, because I remember when that got released and now we're seeing it and it's kind of shocking how one that if it has, if it would have come out today, it would have been extremely controversial. People would be trying to cancel the church or anybody that even adopts this as a philosophy. And two, it's all the more Rev, like, I guess, revelatory 
because of what we're seeing right now in our society, which is the decay of families altogether and what that's doing to everybody. You know, you see uh, marriage rates plummeting and um, how that affects, obviously, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, You know, monogamy versus, you know, non-monogamy and how casual people have become about sex in general and things like that and how much kids suffer from those scenarios, right? Not only have abortions rates skyrocketed, but also you have a lot of children now being born out of wedlock and what that can do, right? That obviously doesn't signify specifically that one kid is doomed over the other. However, statistically, you can retroactively look at that and say there are strong correlations that indicate if you are born in a single parent household, the likelihood of you um, succeeding on objective standards are a lot lower. It's not impossible, obviously. And we see a lot of cases where that's, you know, it goes against that correlation, Ben Carson being one that immediately comes to mind in the situation he had grown up in and how fascinating that was. I had read his um, autobiography and it kind of detailed all that. It's amazing. So it's obviously not impossible. We live in a system, fortunately, that you can still thrive basically no matter what scenario you grow up in um, for the most part, right? And then there are exceptions to that rule. And then you see this decay of the families really affects that to a large scale and how terrible that can be for kids growing up or whatever. Anyway, he goes through and he basically just reiterates that whole thing. And he talks about how important it is that we not really lose sight of this. And he, he cites um, the former U.S. Attorney General Bill Barr, William Barr, um, and kind of how like our society has evolved. And what we do is basically address the symptom instead of the underlying cause. Um, it's like one thing that he cites is that the growing illegitimacy, like the, the solution to that is not sexual responsibility, but it's abortion or the reaction to drug addiction is safe injection sites, but not trying to really combat addiction in general, stuff like that, which I thought was fascinating. But anyway, huge reaction on Twitter from mostly non-members or sorry, not non-members, but like the former, like ex members of the church as well as those progressive members of the church that are kind of towing that line anyway. So no surprise there, but it's, I've got some of those tweets actually ready to fire up here in a bit, but I'm curious to get your initial thoughts on any of this. I, I know we talked about reading it. So what did you think? Yeah, I know. I, I read the whole thing and uh, I, uh, one, of, one of the things I thought was cool recently was uh, a guy we both follow on Twitter, Zuby, uh, African British rapper, guy that kind of is more of a like family values kind of guy like personal responsibility type of stuff and also world record holder don't don't forget that for oh, yeah, the, the women's the, deadlift in great women's Britain. deadlift yeah he, he does hold that record i think he had to identify he, as a woman before he did it but um, momentarily but yeah, yeah. It, it works <laughs> yeah but he, so i saw him tweet something about like how we need to get back to like family values and actually someone responded to the tweet with the proclamation to the world and it got quite a bit of action i thought that was kind of cool to see the oh, church cool. kind of kind of get spotlighted in that right in, the, in that uh, thread, um, but yeah, no, I, I totally, I, I really enjoyed the article. I thought uh, the whole point about how society these days is, uh, I think we want to have our cake and eat it too. We want to be able to go out and live this uh, kind of bohemian lifestyle, but then still be able to come back to our homes at the end of the day and have all the benefits of the world we used to know. 
and kind of the traditional family values and you know having a support system around you but the reality is it's um it's you can't have your cake and eat it too and one of so obviously we both know about jordan peterson and one of the uh most profound things i ever heard him say actually i pulled up a youtube clip i'll just play it into the microphone here because this is one of my favorite things he's ever said and it goes along these same lines i think so i'll just play that now and hopefully it picks up because he thought the old testament was a really accurate representation of the phenomenology of being it's like stay awake speak properly be honest or watch the hell out because things will come your way that you just do not want to see at all and it might not just be you it might be everyone you know and everything about your culture that is demolished for for generation after generation it's like stay awake and be careful and i like i think that people only don't believe that when they're being hubristic and I think that most people know that deep in their hearts. You know, when you get high on your horse, that happens fairly often. If you have any sense, you think, geez, I better be careful and tap myself down a fair bit because if I get too puffed up, man, something's going to come along and take me out at the knees. And everyone knows that. Pride comes before a fall. It's like, if you have any, that's why it says in the Old Testament that fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's like, I've never, in, in all my years as a clinical psychologist, and this is something that really does terrify me, I, has, I have never seen anyone ever get away with anything at all, even once. You know, there's that old idea that God has a book, you know, and keeps track of everything in heaven. It's like, okay, okay, you know, maybe it's not a book. Fine. But that is a really useful thing to think about because, well, maybe you disagree. Maybe you think people get away with things all the time. I tell you, I've never seen it. What I see instead is that thing happens, right? They, someone twists the fabric of reality. And they do it successfully because it doesn't snap back at them that moment. And then like two years later, something unravels. And they get walloped and they think, oh my God, that's so unfair. And then we track it. It's like, but what happened before that? This. Well, then what? This. And then what? This. And then what? Oh, oh, this. Oh, that's where it went wrong. It's, yeah, because you can't twist the fabric of reality without having it snap back. It doesn't work that way, and why would it? Because what are you going to do? Twist the fabric of reality? I don't think so. I think it's bigger than you. you know, and I think that one of the things that really tempts people is the idea that, well, I can get away with it. It's like, yeah, you try. You see how well that works. It's like you, you get away with nothing. And, and that is the beginning of wisdom. And it's something that deeply terrifies me. And you know, ever, ever since... So that was it. Um, so yeah, I, I think that just goes along the same point there that... Um, that we can, if you, if you sit there and try to act, act like you can just live your life however you want and put band-aids on all the vices you have and all the things you, you want to, you want, you want to have your cake and eat it too. It comes back to you. And I think that that was kind of part of the point of the article was that, you know, we need to get to the root of the problems and, and, and have enough sense of personal responsibility, both as individuals and as a society to, you know, pr to, to use the wisdom we've gained from thousands of years of, of people living life and learning what works and what doesn't and, uh, and, and, and apply that in our lives. Otherwise, you know, if you, if you just try to put band-aids on things, it's not going to go well. Yeah. I mean, there, so there are a lot of layers to what he was saying. And I actually disagree with only one aspect of what he's saying immediately, which was that you can't get away with it at least if he's talking about in a temporal sense, because you see that all the time. 
in this world, people get away with it all the time. But in an existential, in an eternal sense, he's right. So you, in order to really believe that you can't get away with it, I think you have to uh, adopt the philosophy that either in this life or you're not going to get away with it. And that I do believe because you do see people get away with terrible things and twisting the fabric of reality, as he put it, which I like the way he put that, because what it made me think was that the way in which people twist the fabric of reality is trying to convince you that you're deficient, that you look at things in a terrible way through a bad lens, right? Whether or not you what mean you're bigoted to some degree or you're unloving or you are hateful or whatever and that's what they point to immediately because that's the really only ammunition they can actually rely on it seems like right like they can they have to specifically say you're the weak one you're the reason why this is an issue not me not my bad choices the fact that you refuse to accept who i am is really the problem here yeah, no, I would agree with that. And I, I would still say that even in a temporal sense that pe- I still don't think people get away with things. I think it's maybe not always evident. We can't always see that they're not getting away with it. But I think if you try to live your life in a way that's not in line with the fabric of reality, it's going to get you somewhere, even if you're not showing it. And it's going to it's going to tear apart your soul in some way. Um, and, that could be. I mean, yeah. it's just hard to say for sure. I mean, because granted really also when he talks about you know twisting the fabric of of uh reality he's he's addressing cognitive dissonance right mm-hmm. he's saying that those that are trying to convince others that what they're doing is okay or not just okay but it's the right thing it's the good thing to do are more than anything trying to convince themselves and that the, essentially what they're doing going against against kind of the laws of nature or whatever you want to refer to it as um, isn't they're not they're doing okay by embracing this lifestyle and it's like they're trying to convince themselves by convincing you that you're in the wrong more than anything is what it seems like where it's so funny because that's what you kind of see with uh, former members of the church more than anything is that in order for them to feel more comfortable, they have to convince as many people as they can. They can't they usually just can't leave in peace. They have mm-hmm. to say, you guys are all misguided. And ultimately what they're really trying to do is just say, please let me feel more justified in my decision here. Right. And they have a hard time with that, obviously. Well, and that's, I mean, there, there is a true benefit to whether or not you believe in whether, whether or not God is actually real. Um, and I'm not here to argue. I mean, obviously, I believe in God, but whether or not he's real, there's a true benefit in believing he is, because in doing so, you believe there is someone out there you cannot fool. And the belief that there is someone out there you cannot fool keeps you grounded to some sort of uh, humility that you need to, that, that, that that you can't that, that fooling yourself is not a there's nothing there's no benefit to it. Whereas if you do not believe in God then there's all the benefit in the world to fooling yourself because all you have to do is believe that what you're doing is right and there's no one else left to fool. There's no one out there that's seeing through it. Whereas with the an all-knowing being, that always exists and that always haunts you to some degree. Yeah, but there's there's a lot of gray area with that because what we see more than anything is that these people that leave the church through generally, honestly, 
it's usually tied to sin. And that's not obviously the case. And I don't want to make it a blanket statement, but more than often than not, people leave the church because they have a hard time giving up specific sins or whatever it may be. Um, and they still don't want to believe, they don't want to believe that there is no God. They want to believe there is a God, but what they generally do is that they essentially create this idol worship aspect, right? It's, that's at least what I look at it as, is that they're trying to make God in a specific likeness that suits their own way of living. Because that's essentially, I think, why we're told not to idol worship, right? Because idols are imperfect, right? They're made by man. They're made conditionally, by imperfect men specifically, and they're made conditionally through a lens that's really limited. And if we're going to worship something like that, that was formed under that environment, then it can be problematic because then people start to customize a little bit more their set of beliefs. And that's essentially what we're seeing now, I think, is modern day idol worship, where it's like, I still believe in God, but I believe specifically in my type of God. I believe my God loves me no matter what I do. And that when I, the idea of unconditional love, which is actually something I've talked about on this podcast and also written about, um, to them, they take that to the greatest length possible, which is I can honestly do no wrong. Like eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And also they add to that and we all make it to the celestial kingdom. So there really isn't anything wrong we can do. And it's, it's fascinating, but I really do think that is their essential way of looking at things. Yeah, their God essentially becomes their conscience and it's they're, they're interchangeable to some degree. Um, well, let's hear these, let's hear these tweets on, on the article. Well, I'm going to start with my favorite actually from one of our friends, uh, really, really close friend of ours that doesn't know we exist. Calvin J. Burke. I'm sure you're familiar with that name. Really good friends with Rosemary Card, who is just like next level, brilliant Twitter, um, philosopher. I don't know (laughs) stuff, but she is like really gifted anyway. Um, he said, every time someone old in the church says something horrible, and he puts in parentheses, like Tad Collister, my mind immediately jumps to the time John Mulaney talked about old people's voting rights. And he quotes me, he says, you don't get to order f- for the table when you're about to leave the restaurant. And he applies the idea that John Mulaney is saying that pe- old people shouldn't be able to vote because they can't even like manage themselves at a restaurant. And there's a couple things here where it's like... I- my favorite thing is probably that, of course, somebody like Calvin Burke would cite a beta moron bitch like John Mulaney. <laughs> and not only that, a comedian who, by the way, I'm not sure if Calvin's familiar with how comedians work. They they tend to say fairly radical things just for a laugh because that's what makes it funny. John Mulaney isn't really believing in this idea that old people shouldn't vote, but he's saying it for shock value because it is a funny narrative to put on there and to make that comparison. But then Calvin takes that in and says, oh, the philosophy of a comedian makes so much perfect sense to me, right? He throws out the uh, the uh, actual philosophers for modern day morons like John Mulaney. Anyway, that one was kind of funny. Um, people took issue with the idea that he... Well, I think... Uh, how... Te- What's that? I said, uh, Calvin probably wants 16 year old Gen Z kids to vote, but you know, he has a problem with old people voting. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so there was a lot of shots fired at the idea that he refused, like he kind of re referred to people as wreckage, I guess. And, um, 
this tweet said, I invite Tad Collister to take several seats. People are not wreckage. To him, I use these, his own words. It's such a condescending and ridiculous way of saying that. To him, I use these, his own words. One cannot circumvent God's commands and expect to escape the divine consequences. And then she adds to that, I, for one, am pleased and in love with those in my life, family, friends, who do their best to actually love as Jesus loves. As we act in this manner, I look forward to experiencing the consequences that flow from such efforts. I, I mean, I look at that and I'm like, yeah, that's whenever you use the love card, I think your argument gets thrown out because everybody's customized love now too to fit their narrative because nobody has actually defined it. And that's, again, something I've said before. Nobody can define love in a way that actually both sides can agree on. So can we just stop using that as an argument? Because surely you, you, if Jesus loved perfectly, then you can argue that even when he was in the temple, like going at it, like busting his whip out and going after the money changers and saying, get out of my father's house, then that must have been a loving approach. Believe it or not, he was actually more concerned about maybe their, the, his father's house and what they were doing and the, and the, um, you know, irreverent acts they were committing in his father's house. And he was saying, it's better that you guys do this outside of my father's house and let so that you guys don't get condemned, which you could say was an act of love. I think there's an argument there, right? So let's just stop using that for an argument well, because clearly... Under, no, I was going to say, under the definition of love that we we tend to hear a lot from these Twitter kids... Uh, then parents, if they love their kids, they would just let them go out and do whatever they want. No discipline. You can eat as much popcorn and candy bars, stay up till four in the morning when you're in eight and when you're in fourth grade, that, that would be love yeah. apparently, because that that's, you know, just celebrating whatever you want to do. That's love apparently. So I you, guess you do wonder, loving parents do that. No, yeah. You bring up a great point. Cause you do wonder like how many of these people that say stuff like this actually had, have kids now, granted, obviously neither of us have kids. I have a ton of nieces and nephews, and I've witnessed this recently firsthand where a, a young kid will literally tell his mom, you're being mean to me because his mom is telling him to like put his shoes on. And it's like, okay, if that's what, if that's the blueprint we're going off of, if that's the definition, then you're right. Like in order to love a kid, you have to do everything he says. That's, that's essentially the world we're living in, in terms of how love is defined apparently. So yeah, that's a great analogy. All right, another one. Um, this one says, went to church with my family for the first time in a minute. People had lovely messages. That was a church I can get behind. Had mix and mingle, second hour, and served pie. Good for them. Sister and hubs met neighbors and found some babysitters for their kids. And Tad R. Collister is ruining this. <laughs> oh, that's pathetic. And then the reply to that tweet was, that sounds really lovely. <laughs> <laughs> the, just... I, that's the thing. I, these A lot of these people see the church as just some kind of social gathering. It's like the church has never been that. The church The church is about a, a people coming together with maybe varying opinions about things, but sharing a belief in a doctrine. And you should be able to manage going to church and hearing opinions you don't like or being around people that have different uh, different uh, cultural norms than you. And the fact that people get their day ruined because Tad Collister disagrees with them. It's bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. A couple more to, to finish it off. Um, 
this one said, when the church through LDS Living Mag continues to publish pieces like this by Elder Tadar Collister, is it any wonder why young progressives are leaving the church in droves? Uh, are we supposed to be concerned about that? They don't have the right to like hold the church hostage by saying, oh, if you don't change everything that I want you to change to, then I'm going to leave. As if the uh, reason why people leave is like the church's problem. Uh, and that and the church needs to do something to mitigate that like where they can like the people that are leaving are able to dictate exactly how the church does its policy yeah sorry i don't even want to live in that world yeah it's 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 not a negotiation i don't know why people think a church is a negotiation Uh, um this guy responded to calvin burke's uh, original tweet that i said at the beginning he said tadar collister came to our mission and told us on p-day to pick the long out line at stores and talk to everyone who passed us about church and i was like and then he puts a gift uh what does it say it's like uh yeah i'm not gonna do that i actually kind of agree with it yeah if if tad who i know personally came to came to me and said you should pick the longest line on p days and talk to everyone in line yeah probably i'll be honest p days i i I, (laughs) I probably wouldn't have done that either so maybe i actually agree (laughs) with that one i don't know um with that said, I actually was in a scenario one time where Tad and I were at lunch and Tad doesn't speak Spanish, but I do. And it was at a restaurant with some Spanish speaking people that ran it. And so I started talking to them and they were like, wow, how do you speak Spanish so well? And I don't, but for the record, that's what they said. And I was like, tell them about my mission. And then afterwards, Tad's like, so did you uh, uh, ask him to come to church? And I was immediately like, no. <laughs> And I actually did feel bad. <laughs> Tad Tad is an amazing example of just like always living the gospel to the best of his ability. I actually, to kind of yeah. sum up this scenario, I texted him after I read that. And I said, hey, I loved what you had to say, obviously, right? I'm just a sycophant anyway, so it doesn't really matter what I say about Tad. But, um, And I said, you're getting a, a lot of buzz on social media. And I said, mostly negative reactions. <laughs> But I think that ultimately means it was well-written and articulated (laughs) powerfully. And then I followed that up and gave him kind of an update on my dating life because he's always asking me about that. And all he did was respond to the the update on my dating life. That was it. And he's like, oh, great. Yeah, I'm glad glad that's going well. Like, bring bring her by sometime. (laughs) So I'm like, all right. Well, Tad's not in the mood (laughs) to talk about it, I guess. No, that's good. No. No, but it's good to you know say speak the truth forward and don't don't worry what people think about it or what they say about it. That's, that's yeah. The church news is getting so many letters about that article, how much they people hate it that I don't know if they're considering, but like it's on the table that they rescind the article or retract the article. Which no would, can you imagine if that were the case? That'd be the church can't even the church can't even uh, can't even stand by people preaching pure church doctrine. I guess. It's, uh, yeah. It's, that's a shame and you see, case, you see but... people, you see people specifically saying, I can't believe he cited a member of Trump's cabinet as a way of backing up. His... It's like, are you serious? Like, just because you, you don't like a person, like, that's it. You're done. Like, you're not going to take anything that they say as any type of value. But I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised by that. Whatever. But... <laughs> I guess on a, on a lighter. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say that's about all I had to say about that article in that situation. It's like the most straightforward, basic article, and it's just a complete uproar. And people want to leave the church once. I don't know. So there's nothing you could do. There's nothing you can do these days anymore without a huge reaction. 
Yeah, I think hopefully I'm hoping society turns a corner here in the next decade and we start to learn that you can't base everything off of the reaction of the masses on Twitter. If, 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 we're, if we're just going to base what we do in our PR approach, if we're just going to base it on what the masses on Twitter react to, no, there, no one can say anything anymore. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, I would just love to sit some of them down, those Twitter activists, and be like, what is your utopia? Like, what is your end goal here? Like, what are you looking for for the church to become in order for you to feel satisfied? I'm sure some of them would have an answer, but it would be fascinating nonetheless. Well, if you really if you really got to the root of it, it's probably they want guys like you and I just to die. I mean, that, 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 <laughs> Maybe. That, 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 that's probably when they would be satisfied. I don't know what else. Well, here's the thing. I'm kind of in the same boat as them. I'm like, I'm not sure I'm like down for witnessing the destruction of the world. Maybe it is better that I die and just move on with things. So I guess we can agree <laughs> on that. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, on a lighter note, um, have you tried the new Mountain Dew uh, Melon Zero flavor? It is incredible. So you have had it. I love it. Yes, I it, love it. It, so it looks much. like something out, like that a clown gave to you at a circus, but it, it tastes good, man. That is, that, is some, that is some top-notch stuff. It is. Um, it's definitely like not masculine, for what it's worth. But there's plenty of things I do that aren't masculine. So whatever. And I love it, man. That drink is incredible. Yeah, the blue kind isn't bad either. I think it's called like a frostbite or something like that. Hmm. But, I'll have to look into that. I don't know that one. Yeah. A shark. It's called. I, I forgot. Shark bite or frostbite or something. Something like something that's, with it tastes. It tastes like that blue. Sick, dude. That sounds <laughs> sick. <laughs> it tastes <Awesome>. like blue. <laughs> um all right what else what else you got do we uh, i guess we could finish it up here with some byu updates sorry for those that didn't come for that but here we are once again talking byu alex barcelo decided to stay you think that means that they'll at least match what they did last year in the tournament in terms of seeding if not exceed that's might be fair that might be fair because you think the progression of some of our younger guys can make up for the loss of harms defensively for the most part and even supersede it to some degree and then go from there. I'm excited to see Loner and and what he can do. Oh yeah, Loner, George, um, I think uh, Nell, all those guys are going to take a step up. I, I it's going to be a good team. And I, I hate to I hate to say the G word, but they might challenge Gonzaga. I, I I'm, I'll go as far to say as they might challenge Gonzaga for the conference. Yeah, well, we knowing you for as long as we have, we know you actually don't hate that, and that is classic Chase in his fullest yeah. form. So but no what, comment what on I that, did, honestly. I have zero clue how good Gonzaga is going to be. I feel like they're going to be just as good, if not better than last year, if that's even possible. But Yeah. I mean, they do seem to get better every year. What, what, I, what I will say about that Barcelo announcement is it's really refreshing to see a guy feel like he has some sort of responsibility and loyalty to the school that he went to. I feel like, that that's that's a phenomenon that went away like 10 15 years ago and these gen z kids have come in and it's all about how quickly they can transition to the pros and how how quickly you know it's all about what they can get in it for themselves and i'm not saying there's anything wrong with being self-interested when you're a college athlete of course you're going to be but i especially I appreciate- if you're part of an environment that like helps facilitate that sure 
But I appreciate a guy like Barcelo, who at least publicly, maybe maybe privately, he's maybe he's just virtue signaling, but but publicly to come out and express some sort of gratitude to the program and some responsibility to leave it better than how he found it. I think that's awesome. And it kind no, of brings I, back the, the old days of college sports. I actually agree with you there. The, the whole approach he had was awesome. And you know what? Throughout this whole process, like, and this is rare for transfers. It seems like Barcelo has completely turned himself into like a BYU guy. And, you know, we kind of talked about this before on recent episodes or on other episodes before previously where like what makes a BYU guy. And I've kind of made the argument that Zach Wilson never really came across as a BYU guy to me. And I think most of us would kind of agree with that. There's not a real definition we can point to. It's more of a feeling. And I feel like through this process, Barcelo has cemented himself as a BYU guy. Like he loves the university. He's there for what you might consider the right reasons, but just that he's going to be somebody that's going to be, he's going to be tied to the program forever now. Like he'll come back a lot, probably uh, in whatever capacity, who knows, but he'll just be a friend of the program forever. I don't really see somebody like Zach Wilson, like being obvious about that now that he's not going to shun the program. And he's now becoming a Wilson legacy that we've got two of his brothers, at least at the university or one or coming to the university and perhaps a third brother, a fourth Wilson overall that might come too. Oh, now. Wow. So he's a huge recruit quarterback. He's like being touted as one of like just better than Zach Wilson as a quarterback. He's getting all sorts of offers. BYU is on the list now, but who knows how that shakes out. And I've already heard before that he doesn't really want to go to BYU, but the other two brothers are either at the other two brothers are either at BYU or going there already. So who knows? You never know. You know, I, I agree on Zach. He, I mean, great. Good for him. I'm super stoked that he got drafted number two and all that. And I'll root for him because I want BYU to look good. I don't want BYU to be known as the bus school, but I don't, I, I can't get myself to truly care about Zach Wilson. He just doesn't feel like he's got that BYU in his blood, which is probably accurate based on what we've seen. Kind of seems like it, but yeah. you know, yeah, we could be wrong on that, but yeah, seems like that. Anyway, any other BYUs that we wanted to finish up with? Not really. I mean, just waiting. I think when the when the summer gets going, I think we'll start hearing more about football, but nothing. We're kind of in the dead zone right now, so nothing a whole sure. lot there. Anything else to to sign off with before we call it a call it an episode? No, man, looking forward to living back in Utah next month. So that's one thing to look forward well, to. I wish, but, we, yeah. I wish we were looking forward to it as much as you are, but it's not the case, so whatever. <laughs> well, you guys you guys get me whether you want it or not. So <laughs> Fair point. You know what? We need, we need people like you out here. So uh, you're always welcome, man. Welcome back. Good to know. Good to know. All right, Chaser, with that, we'll go ahead and finish it up. You have a good one. Thanks for coming on again. All right. Good talking. There's an hourglass sitting on my table I'm watching Because everything's changing my mind Goes to a different time Old love, I remember falling so madly There must have been magic in the valley And a rhythm in the night Because I could fade right out of you if it takes time I, I, if it takes time